Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hello, Real Life Church. It's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you. Uh, We are rounding out a series on the book of James today, and James has an important word about how we might best live our lives because changed lives change lives. And that's what he wants for us. He wants to see our lives transformed by the power of Jesus so that we'll go out and transform the world. But before we get to that, let me uh, remind you that we have uh, here at the church this weekend our great Taste of Glendora with 18 different restaurants bringing free food and a live band free to the public. Hope to see you all on Sunday afternoon. Check out reallife.la for all the details. But hey, If you're inviting people to great events like this, and this one's going to be super, if you're inviting people to events like this, have in mind, what am I going to invite them to next? If they come to this and they love it, which they will, what am I going to invite them to next? Maybe Christmas Eve services. Those are right around the corner. That's a good next invite. Uh, Or uh, the small group at your house or worship services. For those of you who are far away, who cannot attend, God bless you. We miss you. Maybe if you're in town for Christmas, we'll see you then. Uh, thanks uh, Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I, uh, I know we have people in Northern California and up in Washington and Idaho and Connecticut, and uh, like I like hearing from you. If you're tuning in right now from somewhere else in the world, you can write in the comments. You can put a message in there right now. Hello from Timbuktu, uh, but only if you're from Tim- Timbuktu. Uh, I digress. We're going to get back into the book of James now, and James has this, this great message. Uh, Remember, the the Reformation theologian Martin Luther criticized the book of James. He said it's a a letter of straw because it's it's so focused on how we ought to live. And Luther was just just hell-bent on letting us know we are saved by grace. Your good works do nothing. And James is pressed to say uh, your faith had better come out in what you do because if not, you're a fake. You're a hypocrite. Don't let that happen. And, and he, in, in a way there, reflects the teachings of his brother Jesus, who, uh, who over and over again confronts the hypocrisy of the Pharisees who say they believe but live in contrary kinds of ways. And James is concerned about the authenticity of our faith. So uh, appropriate for this year that we're ending on the, the book of authenticity, authentic life, because Merriam-Webster's has just declared that authentic is the word of the year 2023. And we're going to look at James teaching us how to live an authentic Christian life today. Hey, let's start with prayer. Pray with me. Lord, thank you that you call us to new life and real life in you. Thank you that you change our lives and transform our lives in good and healthy and powerful ways. May our faith in you sink so deep that we live completely differently, that we live just for you and your kingdom. And as our lives are changed, send us out to change the lives of others. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Uh, we're, uh, we're in the book of James now, and um, there's, uh, there's kind of a, um, an interesting uh, a story here um, about a guy in India uh, named B.R. I'm going to look at his name so I pronounce it right, uh, M. Bedkar. And he was a lawyer. 
And he grew up in, uh, he was a, the lower caste, he was a Dalit, an untouchable, which if you don't know the, the caste system of India, it's a very strict social hierarchy. And if you're born into the bottom class, because of the beliefs of the Hindu faith, it's suspected that you did something wrong in a previous life and now have now been born in the lowest caste. And it's just the way things are. You can't ascend through hard work or diligence or good character. You can't ascend through different castes. You're born in, in the caste that you're born in, and there's a sort of fatalism to the fact that you probably in some way deserve that. So if you're born into the, the lower caste, the untouchables, it is akin to the way Blacks in America were treated prior to the Civil Rights Act of 1964 with separate facilities, uh, people um, disparaging you, people refusing to hire you. That's, that's what it's like to be an untouchable in India, lower caste. Well, this guy was born into the lower caste. And he, uh, he sought out different kinds of work, but had trouble getting hired because of his, his caste. He tried to work as a uh, tutor, uh, uh, a teacher, but if people found out he was part of the lower caste, they wouldn't hire him. He tried to work as an accountant, but if they found out he was part of the lower caste, they wouldn't hire him. So he went and got a PhD and uh, became a professor. But the other professors complained about having to share facilities with him. So he went and became a lawyer, just a, a brilliant guy, became a lawyer and he began to defend members of the lower caste, especially when they were sued by people of higher castes, because inevitably the courts were biased and they would lose. And he began to build a legal defense for them. Then he began to fight for their civil rights. He, uh, he led uh, marches and protests to Hindu temples where they were banned from entering to, to protest the fact that they were kept out. He led at one point uh, more than 10,000 people in a burning of the Hindu scriptures, which were used as a justification for the caste system. Uh, he, uh, he led uh, protests and march and fought legally for them to be able to use uh, the, the public wells to draw water. Well, this created a sort of an uproar, but also quite a following. T uh, tens of thousands of people knew his name and were following him. And he, at, at one point, finally announced he was going to leave the Hindu faith because of the way it treated the lower caste. And he said he looked around at the world faiths and he looked at Christianity and here was Jesus who favored the poor, who favored those who were outcast, who spent his life debating against religious elites who kept other people down and associated with lepers and tax collectors and prostitutes, the lowest caste in his day. And despite the fact that that's who Jesus is, Embedkar did not choose Christianity. There were uh, two instances in his life where he knew a Christian family that would not invite him to their home because he was lower caste. And instead of looking at Jesus, he looked at these people. Instead of looking at Christ, he looked at Christians. And because of the way these two Christian families treated him, just like everybody else, he was turned off by Christianity. He knew that in the history of the United States of America, Christianity alone was not sufficient to bring an end to slavery. It took a civil war to do that. And so he, he didn't choose Christianity, he chose to become a Buddhist. And tens of thousands of people were influenced by that decision. Can you imagine how different the world would have been for those tens of thousands of people if the couple of Christian families that he knew 
followed the teachings of the book of James that said, do not show favoritism to the rich and the upper, upper class, but instead care for the poor, care for those who are in most need. Well, that's why James is so intent on telling us you have to live your faith out. It can't just be ideas in your head. It has to translate in the way you control your tongue, in the way you serve the poor, in the way you control your anger, in the way you refuse to show favoritism. And today he's going to impress upon us, and it needs to affect the way you, you relate to one another. Uh, you should not be filled with envy and conflict. You need to treat each other with grace and respect. And so that's what uh, he's going to walk us in today. You, you've heard it said, because uh, Paul teaches it in the New Testament, we're saved by faith, not by good works. Anybody who tries to save themselves by good works is lost. But James wants to then ask the question, does that mean good works are worth nothing? And his short answer is no. And his long answer is no. Ask uh, this Hindu lawyer who turned away from Christianity because of Christians who didn't live out their faith. Uh, James is now going to teach us uh, what it looks like uh, to live graceful lives uh, among ourselves in the church. We're in chapter 4 at verse 1. Follow along in your Bibles. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet which is a fancy religious word for feel desire for other people's belongings. It comes from the 10th commandment in the 10 commandments. Do not covet. Don't be jealous of other people's belongings. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. The story of the scriptures is the story of God's people being in conflict with one another from the very beginning. Eve tempts Adam to eat the forbidden fruit and everything falls apart. Cain kills Abel. Joseph's brothers betray him, sell him into slavery, leave him for dead. He ends up off in prison because he's accused of something he didn't do. The story of Moses leading the people through the wilderness, the people constantly rebelling against him, uh, Aaron turning against him, his own family turning against him, and his struggles and frustration with the people uh, who are always against him. Uh, you have the prophets who are always condemning God's people for not being faithful. And in the end, God's people often turn against the prophets. Jesus himself is betrayed and crucified. And in the story of the New Testament church, you have churches like the church at Corinth that is in conflict over everything, the church in Galatia that's having a fight with Paul. From end to end, the scriptures are a story of God's people fighting with each other. What is wrong with our species? We are a mess. Sometimes I read the story of Noah and the ark, and though we read it as a cute children's story, remember, God is flooding the earth to wipe it clean of humanity because humanity is such a disaster. I mean, it's actually a, a pretty grim story, and sometimes I read that story, and I think, how could God do that? And then sometimes I look at the history of humanity and think, how could God have only done it once? I mean, have you met humanity? We're a mess, and James says, here's the problem. You're, you, you envy and you covet, you fight with each other because you're jealous, you think you don't have enough uh, in this world. You look at your life through the lenses of the world, which tell you you don't have enough stuff. The Joneses have more stuff than you, and so you're missing out. Um, so, now, uh, so now he's going to go on and tell us how to solve that, and he's going to tell us in two steps 
uh, what we need to do. You do not have because you do not ask God. And that's a short little half a sentence that is profound. You do not have because you do not ask God. If you don't ask God, it's because you don't yet trust that God will provide for you. You may believe in God, but you haven't committed yourself wholly to the confidence that God actually wants to take care of you and will take care of you. And this is, this is a profound step of faith. Remember, God led his people out of slavery in Egypt through the wilderness for 40 years. And you might ask, why did they have to wander in that, that anxious desert context for so long? It was because when they were in the desert that God proved to them that, they, that he could rain bread down from heaven and provide for them every day. It was so that when Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, we would have a context to remember God can actually do it. And God wants us to come to depend on him every day, to ask him every day, will you take care of my needs for this day? You don't have because you don't ask. And if you don't ask, it's because you don't believe. I remember there was a moment here at uh, Real Life Church where one of the members of the church called me up in the morning and say, said, hey, I've, I've been given some free patio heaters. Could the church use them? And I said, sure, we have outdoor events all the time and it's a little bit chilly. Yeah, we could use outdoor heaters. I said, and in fact, I bet it matches the one we already bought that's out on the patio right now. And I went outside to look for it and on the ground where our patio heater had been was a little dirty circle where it had been sitting, but the heater wasn't there. And I looked around and looked around and looked around and I couldn't find it anywhere. And so the staff went and pulled up the security videos and it turned out that the night before somebody had pulled into our parking lot with a pickup truck, gone up to the patio and stolen the patio heater from a church. <laughs> I, I wouldn't heat yourself too much with that heater. You're headed to a much hotter place when life is over if you're stealing from a church. And so the, he, he steals this in the middle of the night. And before I even knew that the heater had been stolen. Someone called me up the next morning and said, I have some free patio heaters. Does the church want them? Well, it turned out he brought us 12 of them. We had so many patio heaters that we gave a few to another church for free. And it's moments like that that remind me, God can provide for you in ways that you cannot imagine before you even know what your needs are. God is making plans to provide for you. You don't have because you don't ask. But when you learn to live in faith, you realize that you follow the God who can rain bread down from heaven. Hebrews 11.6 says, The faith that pleases God is one that believes that God exists and that believes that he rewards those who diligently seek him. I've experienced a growth in faith through the course of my life in which as, as life has gone along, I've believed more and more. We, we teach our kids that you, you have to come to a moment where you pray to Jesus, Jesus be my Lord and Savior. And that's the moment where you believe in Jesus and you follow Jesus. And that's true. But then you start following Jesus and, and you start to pray and you realize God answers your prayers. And you start to think, oh, I can actually depend on him. I don't even know if I believed before because now I really believe. 
and then you follow God more. And if you're, if you're diligent and persistent, you realize God does even more amazing things than He did before. Like when we founded this church, God started this church. God provided for us in incredible ways from the very beginning. God provided us a school to meet in, and then a, a rental property that we found just driving around, and then a, a property that we own that we were given for free because somebody just called us and said, do you want it? Over and over and over again, God has provided for us in ways that I could not have dreamed of. And I look back now and I think, did I even believe before? Because now I really believe. What was it before? Sometimes in our younger years, we have to go through a process where we intellectually engage and analyze and try to decide, is God really there? Is it really true? And that's a good and important stage. But when you experience the tangible presence of God, when you experience His loving providence in which He takes care of you every day, there really isn't a more convincing proof than that. And over and over again, as we follow God, God calls us into a deeper kind of faith. That's what James wants us to do here. When James says, you don't have because you don't ask, he means you don't ask because you don't believe. Take that next step and trust God with your needs, enough to ask and really believe that He wants to provide for you. Um, we're teaching our second kid how to drive in our house right now, a uh, 16-year-old boy out driving. Uh, sister learned how to drive. She's off in college now, but he's learning how. And, uh, and I have a, a manual transmission, so it's a little more complicated. And you kind of watch a kid learn how to drive through different stages. First, they sit in the back seat and they watch you drive, and they'll say things like, I know how to drive. I've seen you do it. I know how. And then they have to take a test to get a permit, and they really have to study and learn information, and then they know a lot of facts about driving. They think, well, now I really know how to drive. I thought I did before, but now I really know how to drive. And then you put them behind the wheel of your manual transmission, and the car stalls, and it bucks, and it kicks, and it squeaks, the tires squeal, and uh, eventually, your dad says, uh, I can't feel anything in the left-hand side of my body. Either let me out or take me to the hospital. And, uh, but eventually, it settles, it settles in, and the kid figures out how to make the car go and not stall. And the kid thinks, now I know how to drive. I thought I did before. I had all the facts before, but now I know how to drive. And then even later, you learn how to drive naturally without thinking about it. It becomes second nature. Well, at what step along that way did you really know how to drive? I'm not sure. I'm not sure when you really knew it. But I've come to believe that faith is not a one-and-done kind of thing. Not just you, you say the prayer and you receive your heaven ticket and you're done, but rather it's the ongoing continual process of God revealing Himself to us, of being overwhelmed by the revelation of God. You don't have because you don't ask. You're not asking because your faith needs to take that next step. James uh, will go on uh, in verse 3. When you ask, this now this is the second stage. First step is you have to ask. Second step is this. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. 
So the, the first step is you have to have enough faith to ask. And the second step is you have to ask for the right reasons. If you're just asking for self-indulgence, why would God care about that? Why would God care about the, the spoiled kid who already has everything who just wants more? Or you have to ask for the, the right reasons. We forget, we lose track of the fact that we are, we live in the continual presence of the miracle of loaves and fishes. That God continues to multiply gifts and blessings around us all the time. And he wants to give us good gifts, daily bread. That's what they, that's what they were receiving there in that, that miracle of the loaves and fishes where God takes, Jesus took some bread and some fish and multiplied it and fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves. We are in the constant presence of the miracle in loaves and fishes. But we have to realize what God is trying to do in our lives is not, not take us into a place of spoiled comfort, but take us into a place of ongoing, confident dependence upon Him. When I first read in my younger years these, these teachings of James, well, you don't, you don't have because you don't ask, so shame on you, so stop, stop being selfish. I took it as sort of a, a crotchety scolding, uh, like the, uh, the annual uh, complaint that, you know, Christmas has become too commercial, stop being so greedy and just be more holy. And I took it as, okay, well, I understand I, we do that and shame on us. But what James is trying to do here is give us a, a manual for spiritual power. If you want to be on the constant receiving end of God's blessings, you have to position yourself in God's kingdom so that you're part of the flow of the blessings that he's always pouring out. He is always reenacting the miracle of the loaves and fishes. And we can position ourselves to be in a place of constant receiving of that miracle. Um, it's like this. Uh, imagine a, uh, a soldier uh, out on the battlefield. She has confidence that when she radios back to headquarters and said, I need backup, that backup will arrive. That when she radios headquarters and says, we need more supplies, that supplies will be rushed to her. She's in the constant flow of what headquarters will provide for her because she's out on the battlefield doing what she's supposed to do. But now imagine she defects and she leaves the battlefield and she travels off to a beach resort somewhere and she goes out to lie down on the sand in a beach chair and relax. And sitting out there in that beach chair, she picks up the radio again to communicate back to headquarters and says, I, I demand a pina colada. I, I'm just not happy enough and I need a pina colada out here. <laughs> well, headquarters is not going to respond for a whole number of reasons, right? It's not a good use of resources. It's actually a waste of time. And she's not accomplishing what headquarters wants accomplished. She's off doing her own thing. It would be ridiculous for a soldier to defect and then call headquarters and ask for more resources. But isn't that the state of most American Christians? Don't most American Christians, most of us go pursuing wealth and achievement or comfort and security, relaxation and apathy, and then get into an existential crisis about whether or not God is really there. We're, we're off on a beach asking God to send us resources. And when we don't get our pina colada, we think maybe God doesn't even exist. 
The people who immerse themselves in Christian ministry, who wake up on a mission for Jesus, who first thing in the morning think, I'm going to spend today serving Jesus, seeking to love people in his name, seeking to pray for people, offering to share the gospel with anyone who will receive it. Those are the people who most often has, have stories of miracles in their lives because they are on the front line of what God's kingdom is all about. They're the ones trying to achieve what God is doing in this world. And when they radio in and say, I need this, they can trust confidently that God is ready to supply their needs. They don't ask for their own selfish desires. They ask because they're living for God's kingdom. What James says here in these, these few words is, is profound. You end up in a constant state of conflict as a species because you're jealous of one another, because you look at one another through the eyes of the world. If you, if you look at the world through the eyes of God's kingdom, you realize that no matter where you come from, no matter what talents or resources you bring to the table, God will commission you to go out and be on the forefront of the, the spiritual battle that is being fought in this world. And when he does, he is the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and can provide you every resource you need. If you phone in for help, he is eager to supply you. Manna in the desert, daily bread. All you have to do is ask. And when you ask, don't ask because you're being selfish. Ask because you're living for God's kingdom. And this is the heart of James' message. When we know Jesus, our lives should change. And when our lives change, changed lives change lives. He sends us out in the world as missionaries, ambassadors, to go and invite people into a kingdom that's different than the kingdoms of this world so that they might know fully the God who loves them. When we, when we respond to Jesus, it's, it's not out of religious legalism. It's not out of trying to earn our way to heaven or prove ourselves good. It's not a self-righteous activity. It's not all the things that Martin Luther criticized about the book of James. James is more profound than Luther gives him credit for. Uh, what, what James is calling us to do is to respond out of hearts that have grown close to the heart of Jesus. I had a friend who was a pastor and when his kids were little, he used to take them hiking up in Yosemite. And he would go on fairly long hikes. So he would take his younger son, who was little, and put him in a backpack and carry the son, one of those little kid backpacks, you know, and, uh, and hike along with his kid on his back. Well, he said one time he walked past one of those big Yosemite waterfalls that casts mist in all directions at the bottom. And he and his kid got a little bit soaked. And the kid was uncomfortable in the backpack and started to squirm and, and complain. So he sat down and took off the backpack and took off the kid's shirt and held the kid to his chest and lay down on one of those big, flat, hot rocks out in the sun. He said the little boy stopped squirming around, stopped fussing, settled down, and then fell asleep there on his chest. And he said as they lay there in the warm sun together, he could feel his son's heart beating in sync with his own. The vision of the Christian life is that our good works would not flow out of self-righteousness or a desire to prove anything to God or anyone else, but out of the fact that our hearts have come to beat in sync with the heart of Jesus. 
because we've grown close to him, our hearts beat differently. And as a result, we approach the world with an unending, ever-flowing kind of love that comes from headquarters, through the supply line, to us, to, to a world in need. In the end, James wants us to know that changed lives change lives. So go out and live for God's kingdom. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that the message that your brother wrote down 2,000 years ago is still impacting lives today. Teach us to look at the world through the lens of your kingdom and your supply lines, and not to be envy or covetous, not to end up fighting with each other out of jealousy, but instead to see ourselves as placed in this world to serve you and to love others in your name. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.